Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This to me is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. And I never thought anything like this could happen in America. Never thought it could happen. The only crime that I have committed is to fearlessly defend our nation from those who seek to destroy it. That was President Trump yesterday evening at Mar-a-Lago after coming back from Manhattan and the arraignment for this really sham indictment uh, and tr- President Trump giving that speech last night and uh, rallying his base uh, around this idea of weaponization of government, um, which really, you know, is is so fascinating to me because uh, you know, this is the left and the same left that says that uh everything in the justice system is systemically racist and unjust and unfair. And this goes all the way back and predates our founding. And they want to destroy all of our institutions. And yet, in just this one specific instance of a politically motivated prosecution of Donald Trump, in this one instance, we need to all recognize that, of course, The justice system is sacrosanct, and this is totally legitimate, and it will be a completely fair process. Well, I'm not buying it, and um, no one who is reasonable is buying it. Even people on the left are not buying this, and uh, neither are Trump's lawyers. And this is actually what uh, one of his lawyers had to say um, right after coming out of the courthouse and saying that uh, President Trump is really frustrated with this. This is cut five. When you say what his reaction was, what do you expect his reaction was? I mean, his reaction his reaction was exactly what would happen if it happened to anybody that I'm looking at now or anybody that's hearing what you're saying. Um, he's, he's frustrated. He's upset. But I'll tell you what, he's motivated. And it's not going to stop him. And it's not going to slow him down. And it's it's exactly what he expected. And so to that extent... There's no surprise, but he's also he's also he's also upset and frustrated and disappointed and mad that this happened. So that was one of President Trump's lawyers saying, you know, um, he's frustrated, disappointed and mad. I think that uh, typifies how kind of we all feel. Uh, But there was nothing really surprising in uh, the indictment that was finally unsealed yesterday. And I think that was actually the more surprising thing, because um, a lot of people, especially on the left, were suggesting, oh, well, Alvin Bragg must have something else, and we have to wait until this is unsealed. And, you know, of course, this is going to be uh, more than just this hush money payment, and, you know, let's wait and see. Well, this revealed 34 counts of basically nothing. Um, This was almost a copy and paste of the same count 34 times that was falsifying business records in the first degree, uh, which is a violation of New York law. And the uh, 
the count actually says that, and I'm reading from this, the defendant in the County of New York and elsewhere on or about, and then they give the date, with intent to defraud and intent to commit another crime and aid and conceal the commission thereof made and caused a false entry in the business records of an enterprise to wit an entry in the detailed ledger for the Donald J. Trump revocable trust uh, kept and maintained, et cetera, et cetera, by the Trump organization. So what clearly is missing in these counts and in this uh this statement of the facts and the actual indictment is that other crime. So in order to make this a felony, uh, falsifying business records in the first degree, what the district attorney, Alvin Bragg, would actually have to prove is that not only was there a false entry made in the business records, but that was made with the intent to defraud and to commit another crime. And what is that other crime? Well, nobody knows. And Alvin Bragg certainly isn't going to tell us. And even when he was asked by the press uh, in his press conference yesterday, this is what he had to say to that. This is cut seven. Ms. Bragg, the indictment says that uh, there were 34 false uh, business um, uh, records. And they would then conceal another crime, but the indictment does not specifically say what those crimes were. We are assuming, perhaps, that they might be election-related. I'm wondering if you can specify what laws were also broken. So let me let me say as an initial matter that the indictment doesn't specify that because the law does not so require. <laughs> the law does not so require. So, uh, no, I'm not going to tell anybody that. And I'm not going to uh, plead with specificity so that anybody actually knows the substance of this. So um, so he's totally hiding the ball here. And I and I find that um, really, really fascinating um, that, that nobody knows. And so this is so convoluted and it's um, it is a an alleged mysterious crime that Apparently, Alvin Bragg doesn't think uh, the law requires him to put in an indictment. And that mysterious alleged crime, then he can prove uh, that Donald Trump intentionally was trying to conceal by making these 34 false entries. And that rises to then the level of falsifying business records in the first degree. So this is uh, just just really really incredibly, incredibly bad, uh, bad look for the district attorney. And um, this rightly should be thrown out uh, on a motion to dismiss. And I anticipate that those motions and um, and all of the, the pretrial litigation and, and those types of things um, are being contemplated right now by the Trump legal team and will be forthcoming. Um, but justice is not swift. So um, motions are set for August um, that will give some time for the defense to consider what motions to to present. Um, I'm also assuming that a request for a change of venue would be forthcoming because uh, President Trump could not likely get a fair trial with uh, 12 impartial jurors in downtown Manhattan. Uh, that that will be forthcoming, potentially asking the judge to uh, recuse himself. Um, that has been something that even President Trump talked about last night, uh, whether 
that was smart or not. Um, he did talk about that in, in at uh, Mar-a-Lago, but I anticipate that is also something that the Trump legal team is contemplating. So all of those motions will be filed. And then so far, the next court date is not until December 4th. So this is not going to be all that swift. Uh, we will obviously continue to talk about this, um, of course, and President Trump will as well. And um, this will be pending, at least uh, as the grand juries in Fulton County, Georgia, and also Washington, D.C., are also contemplating potential indictments um, against President Trump. But I think that what this really reveals, um, at least to me, is that Alvin Bragg is even more politically motivated and frankly stupid than we even thought. Um, This is such a flimsy indictment that does not uh, specify anything. And he has to prove intent to get it up to falsifying business records in the first degree um, to make that a, a, a class E felony, which is the lowest degree of felony instead of the misdemeanor that would uh, be resolved likely with uh, just a fine uh, like it was with uh, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. Um, so this is bootstrapping a uh, an intent to um, to defraud to another unspecified crime that is basically copied and pasted 34 times. And this is this is just so ridiculous. And Alvin Bragg uh, yesterday in his press conference was frankly very unimpressive. And, uh, you know, but, but he sounded like a typical prosecutor. And, you know, I went through what was called um, baby DA school back in the day um, with my um, my second but job out of law school. But, um, you know, pretty much my first litigation job out of law school and you go through, uh, you know, these classes that teach you how to um, how to be a prosecutor and how to go in it. And, and a lot of these things are so uh, rote and they're so uh, just just practiced and over practiced that uh, people who stay career prosecutors, in my opinion, unless they kind of think outside the box, are more like Alvin Bragg, where they're very boring and they stand up there and instead of being able to just speak off the cuff and talk about this and really know the content of the material. I mean, this is a guy who's been pursuing uh, Donald Trump for years. Uh, so, you know, he should know <laughs> this uh, this indictment through and through. But, um, you know, he stands up there and kind of has to read and sounds like it's very scripted and is very awkward. And um, and my tweet about that, my comment yesterday was, you know, if this is his if this is an indication of his opening statement to the jury, then uh, he's got a lot of problems. But um, but this whole indictment is clearly politically motivated. Um, it should really uh, frustrate and upset anyone who cares about the rule of law um, because there isn't any there there and there's nothing contained in this indictment that is now suggesting that when Cyrus Vance declined to prosecute, when the FEC declined, when the DOJ declined, that now there's something um, either new or uncovered or actually serious uh, that is contained in this indictment. So um, so it's frankly embarrassing for our system of government. Um, and it's it's just it's clearly politically motivated to try to undermine a um, a campaign uh, for 
the future 2024 election. And it'll be interesting, though, to see how this works out. And, and of course, we've been talking about this um, for a while, the political fallout. But there, there also are other things going on in the world. So while um, President Trump and his campaign, and I think a lot of America and a lot of Republicans certainly were so focused on this yesterday, as we should have been rightly, um, a couple of other things happened. So um, Wisconsin had a very critical election yesterday for the balance of their Supreme Court. And the Wisconsin Supreme Court fell under Democrat control in a critical election. So this is a 10-year elected position to the Wisconsin State Supreme Court. And of course, Wisconsin is one of the uh, key swing states in elections um, and in federal, uh, uh, you know, nationwide, uh, the president presidential election, and it was in 2020. And um, and of course, you'll remember that this was one of the states that uh, litigation was brought on behalf of the Trump campaign. And um, Wisconsin, with a conservative balance on the Supreme Court, actually just last year, found that drop boxes uh, actually went against state law. And, um, and so outlawed um, a number of drop boxes and how that was administered in the election. And so moving forward, um, this is going to greatly impact the 2024 election, um, but also really critical conservative issues uh, like abortion. So when Wisconsin and the Wisconsin Supreme Court uh, will contemplate an abortion ban, which is likely to happen, now the balance on the court for uh, you know, until the next election, but this elected judge who will sit for a term of 10 years. Uh, Now the balance has shifted um, to the Democrats. And what does this tell us about the GOP's ground game in states? Where where was uh, the highlight nationally on this election? Where was the funding for this election? Um, It's come out that the fundraising on the Democrat side was overwhelmingly more than for the conservative candidate. And even though these aren't political positions, the ideology of the two frontrunners, these two candidates for office, was very clear. And the Democrat was much more heavily funded, uh, which is always very frustrating. And then the other thing that happened yesterday as well is that... uh, Chicago also has fallen. Um, So the far left Democrat, uh, Brandon Johnson, won the Chicago mayoral race. And so Chicago elected a mayor even more radical than Lori Lightfoot. So to quote um, one of my friends on Twitter, Pedro Gonzalez, you all have heard him on the program. He said it and summed it up this way very well. The right memes, the left wins elections. We've got to change that. We have to be engaged as conservatives and not just focus on the weaponization of government at the highest level with President Trump, but throughout the country, the targeting of conservatives and all of these elections, state and local, that absolutely matter. So we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Your health care is just that. It's your health care. It's yours. You are unique. God made you. So instead of being a number in a system, think about being a part of a community, one made for you. MediShare is health care sharing. It's not health insurance. It's a community of Christians who actually care about you and the things that matter most to you, like your convictions. You want to know your money isn't paying for things you don't believe in. Instead, now you're sharing, you're helping 
real people, not a corporate bottom line. And when you have a need, they're there for you. Other MediShare members and staff even praying for you. For 30 years, MediShare has meant affordable, reliable health care. And when everything else seems to be getting more corporate and more impersonal, this is a breath of fresh air. And it may be just what you have been looking for. Call now. They're very easy to talk to. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. This is Pause to Pray. A chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for General Mark Milley, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. As Chairman, he is the highest ranking officer in the United States Armed Forces. Psalm 7872 reminds us of the importance of strong leadership. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for General Mark Milley as he advises the President. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. Only 39% of Americans say religion is very important in their lives. The findings of a new survey that shows patriotism and having children have also diminished in importance for Americans. That survey conducted by the University of Chicago and funded by the Wall Street Journal. 38% say patriotism is very important compared to 70% in 1998. Only 43% say marriage is important. The survey is something of a canary in the coal mine, a warning. Over the past two decades, the left has waged a fierce war on what it means to be an American. So why is the left waging war on our values? Well, God and country and family are at the heart of American exceptionalism. If you want to destroy America, you target our churches and our homes. Remember what President Reagan said, all great change in America begins at the dinner table. I'm Todd Starnes. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And of course, the top story is uh, the indictment against Donald Trump, which was incredibly, incredibly flimsy and uh, looking at the substance of that, which is really, frankly, not much. It looked like uh, copied and pasted uh, 34 counts. Um, As we talked about in the opening segment, uh, really, you know, this falsifying business records in the first degree requires an intent to defraud with those entries uh, and an underlying crime that uh, there is an intent to defraud with those entries and an intention to conceal. So, for example, when this is typically charged, it, the, a, and a great example of this would be, say, that someone is embezzling money from a company, and that in and of itself is a crime, and then they change 
uh, the business records to conceal that uh, money that they have taken from the company. But here, um, there's nothing that the district attorney, Alvin Bragg, is specifying um, that is an underlying crime. And and remember, the FEC, if, if this is about election-related issues, and we don't know that, uh, the, the district attorney has not specified that. And if it is election-related, um, then, you know, do we even know that this is a crime? Because um, to to pay someone it for a non-disclosure agreement is not in and of itself a crime. And so if this was a personal expense or a business expense, um, those things are not crimes. So um, so this is a really, really flimsy indictment. But to speak more on this and um, just the, the weaponization of government as a whole is our good friend uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, who is, of course, running for president of the United States. And he joins me now. So um, Vivek, this, this to me was just even more of a sham than we even recognized. What was your reaction in actually reading this indictment and seeing uh, the press conference from Alvin Bragg yesterday? So I think that, Jenna, I'll give you a couple of things from just an analytical perspective, and then I'll give you some perspectives from my vantage point as a presidential candidate and hoping to lead this country to a better place. Just from a, from a description of the indictment itself and Alvin Bragg's press conference, man, he's really hanging on a fig leaf here. The entire prosecution rests on charging this as a felony by tying it to what he calls in the indictment another crime. Yet in the, entire, in, the, in the entire indictment, he does not say what the other crime was. If this wasn't for the existence of another crime other than falsifying business records, it would be a misdemeanor. It would have expired under New York's statute of limitations, so he couldn't have charged it. So the entire case rest, rests on this mysterious other crime. Now, I watched his press conference. At his press conference, what did he say? He said that the payment to Stormy Daniels was illegal. That's the word he used. And he also said that it exceeded the federal contribution cap. So that matches the legal theory that everyone thinks he's using, which is saying that he broke a federal campaign finance law. For reasons I could go into at length, and I sat down yesterday with an FEC chairman, former FEC chairman Bradley Smith, to talk about in depth why that would not be a campaign finance violation. Actually, it would have been a campaign finance violation to use your campaign money to pay a personal expense and paying hush money to somebody you had an affair with is actually a personal matter because you don't want your wife or your kids or your family going through embarrassment. That's a good reason to pay hush money that you can't use campaign funds for. So in the irony, he's saying that he broke campaign finance laws for not reporting it as a campaign contribution. When you get the strong sense that Alvin Bragg, he was going to get Trump one way or another, if Trump had used the campaign money, he would have said that that was a campaign finance violation, and that would probably be the stronger case. So I, I, you're a lawyer, and I know you probably followed everything I just said, but let's just get step back from that complexity nonetheless and step back and understand the big picture of what's happening. There's two takeaway points to me. One is it reinforces the extent to which this is a politicized persecution through prosecution, reinforces that that is not the country that we want to live in or that we learn to pledge allegiance to as a country. We're not a country where the party in power uses police force to arrest its political rivals. That's exactly what's happening today. But to me, and this is my second takeaway point as somebody who is running for U.S. president, wants to lead our nation to a better place, the fact of the matter is we're still here, Jenna. We've observed this problem for the last decade. 
the corrupt administrative and police state. And yet here we are. And to me, that's actually the lesson where we need to move beyond just spotting the problem, just going through the grievance and the vengeance associated with that to actually a new level of leadership that addresses and solves that problem. And yes, I do think that will take an outsider. And yes, Trump was an outsider in 2015, but he went as far as he was going to go. And now I think Trump himself is suffering personally. It's sad to see the consequences of failing to fix that problem in our national culture. And I'm not going to say it's going to be easy, but I'm running to deliver finally change to this toxic administrative police state by leading with first principles, with moral authority that would allow me to go further than Trump even did in protecting innocent victims of politicized prosecution, including the likes of Trump. And that's what Reagan did in 1980. Nobody's really done it with moral authority and going the distance since Reagan has. That is why I'm in this race, and that is what I intend to deliver. And the irony, and I think the saddest part about it is Trump himself literally is the victim of that today. Really well said, uh, Vivek. And, you know, I had a a mentor of mine um, who expressed to me something similar years ago that said uh, conservatives love to point out the problems. But if you want to make a difference in this world, you can't just point out the problems. You have to also provide a solution. And that's what um, over the last few years, and especially I think since um, the Obama administration in particular, when the country started shifting really, really hardcore left, and we saw a lot of this woke ideology uh, come into our institutions and systems, uh, the, the conservatives really haven't had really good solutions to all of this. And we have, uh, we have really just pointed out the problem. So in terms of delivering this and saying that you are the solutions-oriented candidate and will lead with moral authority, um, what does that look like in particular for something like a weaponized justice system against conservatives? And we've seen this not just against President Trump, but against you know parents in school board meetings, against pastors outside abortion clinics, I mean, against a lot of different uh, conservatives sure. across the board. So when you have an agency whose culture has become so corrupt, you cannot just reform it from above. You have to shut it down and replace it with something new to take its place. I've said that I would shut down the FBI, build a new federal police apparatus that's actually fit for purpose. It's still J. Edgar Hoover's FBI. It still says the J. Edgar Hoover building when people walk into those FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C., I say the same thing with respect to the IRS. The IRS has been weaponized. Going after, you want to talk about going after Christian groups, going after conservative nonprofits. You saw that under the Obama administration. That is a form of weaponizing government. I think some of this is standing on moral authority, too. I mean, you want to talk about hush money for sexual indiscretions. Well, guess what? Congress uses $18 million plus of taxpayer money in the last quarter century. Taxpayer money as hush money for sexual assault allegations or sexual harassment allegations against members of Congress. We need to deliver accountability there. I mean, you think about even the weaponization, even in, even in ways relating to one-off stories, like the Jeffrey Epstein client list, that's using government to protect a select few while weaponizing it to go after others. And I think the difference here is, you know, you, there's two things about conservatives that I think we need to improve upon as a movement. One is too focused on the problem, not enough on solutions and bold enough on solutions. 
But part of the reason why is if you want to deliver, I would say, hard medicine, you know, even, dare I say, extreme solutions like I'm proposing, you better be on solid moral footing to do it. Okay, and Reagan was in that sense. But we could preach about family values and about, you know, God and faith all we want. If we don't have leaders who actually rise to that occasion and match that to walk the walk, then we lack the moral authority and the other co- the other side will get you to compromise. If you are compromised, then you have to compromise. And I don't want to compromise. I want to unify this country, but I want to do it by being uncompromising. And you know what I love about Reagan is you look at the White House, you say the guy sitting in the White House, that is somebody there who I can look my son in the eye, I have two of them, and say that, hey, I want you to grow up to be like him. That's what family values mean. That's what raising a family with a household of faith means. And I think that foundation of faith, of family, the basic cultural values that undergird this nation, we don't just talk the talk. We need to see that walk the walk all the way through up to and including who leads the country. And from that kind of moral foundation, if you're going to go the distance, then nobody's going to stop you. Not a James Comey, not an Anthony Fauci, not anybody. And if they get in the way, you fire them. You don't just complain about them to the press. That is how we build a moral foundation to go the distance in this country. And the fact is, as much as Trump did over four years, we are where we are for a reason. He himself is suffering the consequences today. I've been an outspoken critic of everything that's being done, more so than any other Republican in this field, because I think we need to, we need to actually exhibit spine and conviction of courage. But at the same time, why am I in this race? I think we've missed the ability to go the distance because we've lacked the moral foundation to lead with that moral authority. And you know what? Whether it's not only talking about God, talking about the importance of family, talking about the moral and cultural foundation on which this country was built and living it, that is what I have done my entire life, the way I'll lead in the White House as well. And that's what's different than DeSantis. That's what's different than Trump. And I think that that's what we need, and that is why I'm in this race. Yes, it will take an outsider, but it will take an outsider on a solid moral footing to actually go the distance and get the job done. Yeah, and and I'm old enough to remember in, in 2016 when uh, the 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 wider evangelical swath and and also um, you know Catholics and and people of faith and you know and Hindus and 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 everyone who believes um, in in God and in and certainly you know for the Christians we would say that um, that obviously you know it's not the same God but we can parse theology later um, but we would say uh, in 2016 that we were advocates and voting for Trump in in spite of um, some of these very obvious character flaws. And none of us, um, myself included, who was an open uh, advocate for him then, uh, expressed that any of that was okay. And we weren't uh, we weren't giving him a pass for that. We were saying we want his leadership and courage and boldness in spite of that. But what you're saying, I think, is very precision, is that that, that whole um, mentality has taken us as a country as far as we can go, and we do need moral authority. Um, but I'm wondering, when you, when you invoked DeSantis, who, of course, has not yet announced, but we all anticipate that he will, so we'll treat him like he's a candidate for purposes of, of this conversation. Um, you know, he is a Roman Catholic, and he has has come out very strongly for uh, for family and faith. So how um, how would you say that you are different in that respect in terms of moral authority and moving forward um, in these positions? I think it's the combination of, on one hand, we need an outsider to the system who is not a product of that very system. And Donald Trump was that. And you're right. We all took the bet. And I think we got, and we, and we got a lot of mileage out of it to go as far as we were going to go. 
We need that to go further, too. But we need to combine that with a moral foundation and moral conviction and operating on first principles rather than on vengeance or grievance, not just because that's the right way to be as a citizen. More importantly, that's going to be the right path to effectiveness in getting these things done. So when I go to my specific ideas of shutting down the FBI, shutting down the IRS, shutting down the U.S. Department of Education, in that case, not even bringing it back, pardoning defendants, including January 6th defendants who were peaceful and denied due process, including the likes of Douglas Mackey, these things are going to be controversial. The entire, not only mainstream media, but establishment, even within the Republicans who staff the administrative state, they're going to close ranks on the back of that. You need somebody who is, on one hand, is not beholden to a donor class, is not beholden to a political process, to have the firmness of conviction of an outsider to say, I will see that through. But you also really need to go that distance. That's even further than Trump went. And that's my whole candidacy is I'm taking the America First movement further than Trump ever did. In order to really go that distance, you need, like Reagan had, the moral foundation and authority to do it. And that's the unique combination that I'm bringing here as an outsider, but not an outsider who is also an outsider to America's cultural and moral norms and family norms and faith-based norms and foundation, but who actually embraces that even as an outsider. That's the unique combination, Jenna, that it's going to take. And if it weren't for that, I don't need to be in this race. I was living a great life you know, with my family, success in business, writing one book every new six, one best-selling book every six months. This is great. This is fine for me. But this isn't about me. I think this is a gap of leadership in the country. That is what I'm running to fill, to take Trump's own agenda, the America First agenda that we all share, further than he ever did, further than any other career politician, including DeSantis, will be able to either. That is why I'm in this race. And you know what? We can decide who that is next year. But for now, I want to be at a prominent spot on the debate stage with these guys to let the voters actually have their sense. I really believe in the voters of this country and in the Republican primary to make their choice. Go to Vivek2024.com, V-I-V-E-K2024.com. And you know what? I've put $10 million at least of my own money, and that's just the beginning. But it's not even about the amount of money. It's about making this a grassroots movement because I don't want to beg the donor class. I want to represent the everyday citizen, $1, $5, whatever it is. That's what's going to lift this up. And the number of people who have done it, typed in Vivek2024.com, V-I-V-E-K2024.com to lift that up. That's actually what's already gotten us in the first five weeks past 15,000 unique donors. I think that's record-breaking for a new kind of candidate like this. Absolutely. And, and, and I look I forward to that all the way. Yeah, I hope that uh, that you are on that debate stage because I would love to see you bring this type of content and address these moral issues directly. And that's why I'm one of them that went to Vivek2024.com and, uh, and donated to get you on the debate stage. So I appreciate that, uh, Vivek, and we will look forward to talking with you next week. And uh, we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Find peace in God's Word. In Nahum 1-3, the Lord has His way in the whirlwind. Frequently in life, we find ourselves in a whirlwind, don't we? Really, the wording means 
His way prevails even over above the storms of the whirlwind. God is in control. He has His way even above the noise of the storm. Don't miss Exploring the Word with Dr. Alex McFarland weekdays at 3 p.m. Central on AFR or catch up with the podcast at AFR.net. Washington Watch advances a culture where human life is valued and religious liberty thrives. Hello, this is Tony Perkins, host of Washington Watch, right here on the American Family Radio Network, inviting you to join us each weekend for the weekend edition of Washington Watch for the latest from our nation's capital on what is happening as it pertains to faith, family, and freedom. You'll hear from policymakers, congressional leaders, and others each day, 4 p.m. Central Time. Be there. And who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Esther, a young girl, became queen of the Persian Empire when Israel was subject to Persian rule. A wicked man named Haman tried to get the king to exterminate all Jews. Esther, a Jew herself, was queen when this genocidal conspiracy was brought to bear. But her cousin Mordecai put her royal position in perspective. Perhaps God made you queen for this very moment, to intervene on behalf of the Jewish people. Like Esther, perhaps God gave you the platform, position, and influence you have for this very moment, to stand against darkness. Perhaps you were born for such a time as this. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Here's Steve Tiber, president of Eight Days of Hope. The fastest growing crime in America and across the world is sex trafficking. We're talking about millions of lives, even children. Did you know the average age of a child who's trafficked in America is 12 years old? Eight Days of Hope has decided to be a part of the solution with the body of Christ around the country. It's amazing to think that there's 13,000 animal shelters in our country, and that's a good thing, but there's less than 1,000 safe places for people who've been rescued from sex trafficking to go to. I know it's not a fun subject to talk about, but God has called the church to take its blinders off and end this human tragedy. At 8 Days of Hope, we're going to partner with an existing ministry, and for 14 days, we'll bring skilled volunteer professionals to renovate, rebuild, or remodel facility so that more can be rescued and receive the emotional, physical, and spiritual help they need. For more information on how you can get involved with our Safe House construction ministry, please email us at safehouse at 8daysofhope.com or go to our website, 8daysofhope.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And of course, the top story is the Trump indictment from yesterday. And I had the opportunity to uh, talk with my good friend, Laura Trump, who, of course, is President Trump's daughter-in-law, married to his son, Eric, uh, yesterday for my podcast. And I wanted to play that interview uh, for you this morning. Um, While we recorded yesterday, uh, it was right as he was walking into the courthouse. So we didn't actually have the substance of the indictment yet. Um, So we talk about that and how she didn't comment necessarily on that. I wanted to know more from a personal perspective, and I think uh, you all who are listening want to know how he's doing personally, how the family is doing, and um, some of the reaction in terms of what um, she anticipates for how he'll respond uh, to the to the campaign and um, to all of these forthcoming issues. So uh, this is the interview with Laura Trump. 
Joining me now is Laura Trump, who, of course, is the daughter-in-law of President Trump. And Laura, thanks so much for joining me. Um, It seems like it was a long time ago that we were sitting on set at the Trump 2020 campaign office uh, with the right view and talking about how great this country would still be under President Trump's leadership. And now we have just a mere two years later, um, this all unfolding today. So first, I just want to ask you how your family is doing personally and how we can pray for you and President Trump uh, with all of this going on. Oh, well, thank you, Jenna. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of shocking. It it does feel like a 100 years ago that um, all of that, you know, the good old days, so to speak. And now here we are, obviously, the country falling apart in so many respects. And of course, an unprecedented indictment of a former president, my father-in-law, Donald Trump, um, of course, over something that isn't illegal. There was no crime committed. And I think that's the most shocking part of all of this to so many people. But look, as a family, uh, sadly, I think we're all sort of used to this sort of treatment. It certainly has felt like since the day my father-in-law came down the escalators in Trump Tower and announced he was running for president, that they have tried to attack him. They've gone out of their way any possible direction they could to get Trump, to look for any way to bring him down. And whether it was the Russia collusion hoax, whether it was a perfectly acceptable phone call to Ukraine, indictments, January 6th, the raid at Mar-a-Lago, and now we're at this, um, it seems like they'll stop at nothing to bring down Donald Trump. And you have to ask yourself, I think, as an American, why? Why do they continue to focus on this one man And I think the truth is they're terrified that Donald Trump will end up back in the White House. And it was bad enough for a lot of the folks in the establishment and on the left when he was in there the first time, because he sure exposed a lot of people. We know that he didn't want the help of lobbyists or special interest groups. He worked solely on behalf of the American people. They are terrified that if Donald Trump gets back in the White House, the jig is up for a lot of them. They will be fully exposed. The swamp will be drained and they can't afford to see that happen. So here we are where they have, uh, you know, weaponized the justice system against a political opponent. And it really feels more like we are in the communist USSR than the United States of America. But I'll tell you, as a family, we're not we've never been prouder of my father-in-law. I have never known a person to be able to withstand as much as he has at this point, the attacks, the incoming, obviously constant for him, and still keep his head up and still say, I'm determined to go forward and I'm determined to win the White House. So um, you know what? It's, it's sadly another day for all of us and another attack. We'll get through it. And I think on the other side of this, a lot of people will have been awakened to something they never thought they'd see in America And maybe it will change their mind a little bit about how they're voting in the future. I hope it does. And I hope that this has woken up a lot of people uh, to see how the Democrats and the never Trumpers and in some sense, the uniparty of the deep swamp is really after our civil liberties. I mean, when you look at what's happening, not only to Donald Trump, but also to parents who stand up at uh, their their children's um, educational board meetings and just want to know what's going on in their curriculum. When you look at pastors outside of um, abortion clinics who just simply want to uh, advance the pro life agenda and speak. When you look at you know the lawyers, including me, that that worked for your father in law, who right. you know, the system has been targeted against us as well. I mean, in our licenses and so many other things um, against so many conservatives, and it's all just one thing. 
It's to silence us. It's to intimidate us. And it's to get us to back down and just go along with their agenda. And so with uh, with Donald Trump now facing this indictment and he's clearly not backing down, I think that gives a lot of people the courage to stand up and say, you know, we're not going to take this and we have to make sure that our institutions are protected and our U.S. Constitution is protected. How can people best support that when, you know, maybe they're not Donald Trump, they don't have uh, the, the platform that he does, but we want to help and we want to say we're preserving and protecting our country and our civil liberties and constitutional rights for the next generation. I mean, it's nothing is more important, honestly, than than, you know, righting these wrongs and turning our country back in the right direction and ensuring that we are the free country that we always have been. I would encourage people, look, if if you're upset about what happened to Donald Trump, if you're upset about what happens to parents who are labeled domestic terrorists, Jenna, as you just said, who simply go and want their voices heard at their their kids' school board meetings, um, so many different instances, whether it's online or to people who want to go and, and at least have their voices heard in front of an abortion clinic, if you're frustrated about that, then let's make sure that in 2024, we take this country back. Make sure that we put somebody in office who you know will actually be fighting to rectify these injustices. And I would say that that man is Donald Trump. And if anyone wants to volunteer, DonaldJTrump.com is the website. If you want to donate, you can donate there as well. Uh, The amazing thing is we have seen such an influx of support, Jenna, since all of this began, since this indictment came down or we knew that, that it was going to happen, I believe last Thursday, in the past four days, we raised $8 million at the Trump campaign. And a quarter of that money has come from people who never before, not in any election cycle, had ever donated to Donald Trump. So I think people are waking up and getting it to an extent. But we can't allow this to happen because once they take our rights away, they don't just give them back. So this is a fight we all have to be in together. We all have to go forward over the next year and a half and make sure that we are we're not going to take it from the Democrats. Make your voices heard. Make sure you go out and use your First Amendment freedoms at any opportunity you possibly can. And let's take back the White House in 2024 so that we can get this country back, because it is a very scary time, I think, for a lot of people to see the way it feels like our rights truly have been taken away. And nothing is a more glaring example of that, of course, than seeing what's happened today to my father-in-law. Yeah, and he said it so uh, so correctly, and he predicted this so wisely uh, when he told me, you know, just almost immediately after leaving office, uh, this country isn't going to survive for four years uh, with Joe Biden at the helm and with all of this weaponization of government. And to see what has happened in only two years under the Democrats' leadership in the White House, it is scary. And I think for a lot of Americans, we're seeing our country be transformed into something that it was founded expressly against. And so when we look at the true enemy here, which is, of course, anyone that wants to tear down our U.S. constitutions, deprive us of our civil liberties, uh, you know, without due process and without, um, you know, really any semblance of of genuine justice. This is all about weaponizing the political system. Uh, Let's look at the Republican Party, though, for a few moments, because um, this is an opportunity, I think, for a lot of unity among conservatives and even those people that you mentioned who are first time engagers who maybe they they haven't even participated in politics, but they're getting involved now because they're seeing what's happening. Um, There are so many people who 
are either running against or, you know, Ron DeSantis, who may run against uh, President Trump, I think that he sees him as kind of the top uh, potential opponent. And so how is the rhetoric among, you know, the candidates helpful or not? And how do you see uh, President Trump taking this opportunity potentially to unify conservatives around this common theme that we have to protect our country? Yeah, well, and I think uh, there has been a lot of support. I think you've heard from just about anyone who has declared at this point that they're running for for the Republican ticket, uh, come out and say, this is terrible. This is not America. This is not something we should all stand for. Uh, what's happening to Donald Trump is completely wrong in, in every way possible. And so I, I've been really happy to see that happen. And I think we have to be unified. We have to take on this fight together because it, it is all of us that will make the difference. Ultimately, we can't be a fractured party. And I think the great thing, by the way, Jenna, on the Republican side is that we have such great potential. So many great people who have announced they're running for president. We got a deep bench on our side who might announce a run for president. And you look over to the Democrat side and who do they have? They have no one. They have Joe Biden who can barely squeak together a sentence, even if it's written for him on a teleprompter. You have Kamala Harris, who's even less popular than Joe Biden at this point. Maybe Pete Buttigieg, maybe Gavin Newsom. They have no one on the Democrat side. So people ask themselves, why, why is this happening? Why are they doing this to Donald Trump? Why are they being so aggressive with so many conservatives? And it's because they know, I think, that that's the only way they can win is by disqualifying the top contender on the Republican side. But I would just say that at this point, it feels truly like our party has unified around my father-in-law. Everyone understands that this is something that is completely un-American and we cannot stand for this to happen. Um, and so I've been very pleased to see all of the support around him. Um, and, and not just from Republicans, by the way, from people who I don't think ever really considered themselves, as you just said, political. They never got involved in politics. People have really seen what has happened here and realized that um, this is something you would see in authoritarian or communist countries, not in America. So I think the unity is key. And I think as we go forward towards November of 2024, we need to stay unified and stay focused on the prize, which is taking back the White House. Really well said. And I think that regardless of anyone's political party or especially within the Republican camp, no matter who you support, we should all be able to coalesce and agree that this type of weaponization of government on all levels and especially against a former sitting president that is so unprecedented in American history should not happen. And we can all agree on that. And hopefully the weaponization of government committees out of Congress and uh, we can see some legislative remedies and we can see some things that are tangible going on the offensive, not just sitting back and being on the defensive. I think that's one of the things that starting in 2016 and all the way up through today, people love about President Trump. And I know that that's one thing I sincerely respect about him is he goes on the offensive. He doesn't just sit back and say, you know, let's let's wait and see what happens and you know, we'll just play on, you know, kind of the nice guys team. He's always willing to go on the offensive and tell it how it is. And people love him and respect him for that. And so, um, so my last question to you, Laura, and I know you have um, so much going on today. So I really appreciate the time that you can spend with me. Um, if there is a gag order in place and we're recording this, uh, you know, as President Trump is going into that arraignment, um, how do you think that he's going to handle that? Because people want to hear from him he's set to speak for Mar-a-Lago tonight. Um, I don't really see him, you know, wanting to go along with that. 
Well, I mean, to say that you can predict Donald Trump and what he'll do, I, I've never, I've never predicted very much of of anything with him because I know better. Um, but you know, it would be really incredible in the worst possible way to see if there was a gag order um, in this case against my father-in-law, and he wasn't able to speak. This is a candidate for president of the United States, the front runner on the Republican side for president of the United States. So to have a judge who's very clearly partisan, who we know how he voted, uh, if you look at his family, implement something like this. I mean, I can't think of uh, a greater election interference claim possible. That's exactly what it would be. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Uh, I'm sure you're right. I don't think my father-in-law would uh, would take kindly to that. And I don't know how he would respond to it. Uh, but time will tell. And hopefully uh, cooler heads prevail. And, and uh, this judge realizes what's at stake here, um, not just right now in this moment in America, but going forward, the precedent that something like this would ultimately set and what it would mean for for down the line, maybe not a Republican next time, maybe a Democrat in a Republican district. So um, I think and I hope that uh, he'll you know do something that is uh, wiser than in- implement a guy order. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see if he is uh, wise and unbiased on all levels uh, facing all of the challenges that uh, are sure to come from the Trump legal team. So, Laura Trump, I really appreciate it. Um, We love and support your family so much. We're praying for you. We're praying for President Trump, uh, for the entire legal team. And so thank you so much for your insights today. And, um, you know, this is a terrible day in America. And so um, appreciate your outlook and wanting to advocate for what's right here and for the truth and the rule of law. Oh, you got it. Thank you, Jenna. I appreciate it. So that was, of course, uh, Laura Trump and the judge did not implement a gag order. Thankfully, at least not yet. Uh, It remains to be seen how all of this will go. Uh, But that is it for us today on Jenna Ellis in the morning. And I was talking to uh, Vivek, actually uh, texting with him during uh, the the play of the Laura Trump interview. And, And I said to him, I'm really interested to see the evangelical response because his faith is different, but he shares the same values as opposed to someone who might call himself a Christian, but lives a life totally separate from any moral grounding. And um, he said he would love to hear from you, have uh, any of the questions that you might have for him. So you can reach us Jenna at AFR.net with any comments about anything, but also if you'd like to uh, give a comment back to Vivek. So uh, that is Jenna at AFR.net. You can also follow me on all the socials and I will see you tomorrow morning right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Be praying for our country. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.